Welcome to the Law with DK Williams, giving the courts credit when they get it right, calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to the Law. I'm DK Williams, and this is episode 63 of the Law. And in this episode, we're going to discuss the constitutional and legal lessons we can learn from the Richard Jewell matter. As always, The Law with D.K. Williams is brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. You can subscribe to The Law and other Speakeasy Ideas podcasts through your favorite podcast provider and at speakeasyideas.com. Follow this podcast on social media. On Twitter, it's at The Law, D.K.W., and on Facebook.com slash The Law with D.K. Williams. Love to hear from you, and if you're so inclined, like, rate, review, and share. It helps us get the word out. I am available for speaking engagements, consulting, and teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details. I'm sure many of you have seen the recent Clint Eastwood movie about the security guard, Richard Jewell, who discovered a pipe bomb during the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. He was hailed as a hero for a few days because even though the bomb went off, he started the process of evacuating the area and saved lots of lives. One person did die from the bomb. And a lot were injured, but it would have been a whole lot worse if Richard Jewell had not started the process of evacuation after discovering the bomb. So after being treated as a hero for a couple days, the FBI let it leak to the media that he was a suspect. Then for about three months, Richard Jewell was treated as a potential terrorist in the media. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. I'm sure many of you remember the bombing itself and the aftermath. So recently I was a guest on Annette Bybee's podcast, Annette Talks. She's also a lawyer, and despite that, she's charming and a joy to talk with. We had both seen the movie. We got together to discuss it and some of the legal issues, some of the constitutional issues raised by the movie and the actual event itself. You can find her podcast on all the major podcast providers as well and at her podcast website, AnnetteTalks.com. So go check that out. With Annette's permission, I've included our discussion here on The Law with D.K. Williams. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Annette on Life, Liberty, and Happiness, a podcast where I talk about the Constitution, politics, history, the culture, pretty much anything else I want to talk about. It's your podcast. You can do what <laughs> you want. This podcast can be found on AnnetteTalks.com, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, I don't know, a few other places. You can find it. Just go look for it. Um, so today I am joined by DK Williams. Hello, Annette. Glad to be here again. It's good to see you. Mm-hmm. So you contacted me recently and you said, "Oh, you're going to write an article." Yes. On Richard Jewell. Yes. Right. Uh, yeah, the movie obviously was the inspiration for it because I like to take some pop culture stuff, like movies that apply to real life. And since this movie is based on an actual thing, I thought it was a, a great, a great learning opportunity for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. And and just. I want to establish, first of all, try not to move the table anymore. Oh, okay, you got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For those of you that are just listening, um, I'm filming all of my episodes now, so you can find this video of us on YouTube if you want to see what we look like um, uh, while we're... Or Annette. You want to see what Annette looks like. Yes. Uh-huh. While we're podcasting, just for fun. So we just got back from seeing the movie. Yes. And... Um, First of all, for those of you that are thinking about going to see it, I don't usually see ours, so I should just tell you right ahead of time, right at the start, lots of language. It's a Clint Eastwood movie, so it's kind of expected. There wasn't any gratuitous violence. There, I mean, there was a bomb, obviously. Right. So, but that was not, it wasn't overly violent at all. Right. Um, there were no sex scenes, nudity, or anything like that. It was just lots of, lots and lots, lots, lots and of lots of F-bombs yeah. and things. So I can't really recommend it for that reason, but it was very well done. 
And um, I agree. Yes. So I, I mean, I cried. So it must have been pretty good. Um, oh, and I guess we should give a, because we're going to discuss the entire movie. Yes. So it's a spoiler warning if you haven't seen it. Although to me, it's almost like, I mean, it's a historical event that happened yes. in 96. So is it really spoilery? But just, I mean, you know, at the end of Titanic, I won't tell you what happens. I mean, it's kind of the same <laughs> thing, right? So, right. Um, so we will be discussing all of it. If you don't want to know, if you want to go in completely cold, um, we'll, be, we'll be talking about it. So. Right. And we come at this from a different perspective than just your average moviegoer. Right? We're both attorneys. Yeah, but don't hold that against us. Yes. Well, if you really don't like attorneys, maybe go see the movie, because I think you'll come out at the end liking them a little bit more. Well, one, anyway. Right. right. <laughs> so, um, you have your own podcast? I do, yeah. Check this out. I'm on. It's called The Law with D.K. Williams. Um, Google that, The Law with D.K. Williams. Follow me on Twitter. and Whenever something new comes out, I pretty much will tweet about it, and you can go from there. Uh, and the Twitter account is The Law, D.K.W., and um, yeah, please check that out. It's also a Facebook page, The Law with D.K. Williams. Um, I've talked about a lot of famous Supreme Court cases that I think are important that have kind of shaped the country, shaped where we are today. And then I will also talk about some of the new ones that come out, like last term, new cases came out, talk about those and how they will uh, change the way we do things in the country. And uh, the new term is now going on. They're hearing arguments. And probably in a couple of months, they'll start putting out new cases, and we'll talk about those as well. Yeah, so. they always have new great cases that we need to be paying attention to. <clears throat> exactly. So it's good to have some place to go where someone can tell us what the heck it means. <laughs> and um, Or at least what I think it means. <laughs> right? I encourage people to read these cases because I, that's one of the things that got me started on this is whenever I do the podcast, I will link to the actual case. Because I've seen people on TV and uh, radio, talk radio, wherever, and they're adamant about a case and it's clear from their discussion of it that they haven't read it. And that's just embarrassing for them. Yeah, so don't be is. that guy. Yeah, I see. I don't like reading the cases ever since law school. I'm like, I really don't want to. They're not scintillating. <laughs> They're it's not, not. It's not as good as a, as a Stephen King book or, or Larry McMurtry. Who, did you notice that was what the lawyer was reading at his desk? Oh, he had a Larry that... McMurtry book of The Lonesome Dove, which <laughs> I'm just Lonesome Dove. Uh, I, I noticed that because I had that same copy. It's very popular. And that's a great book. If you haven't read Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry? Thumbs up. And so this, we're talking about the Richard Jewell movie where the lawyer was reading the book. Right. Yes. Because yes. right. part of the thing was at the beginning, he wasn't all that busy. Right. right? Yeah. His, his assistant or whatever yep. who she was, love interest. Oh, I just gave it away. Uh, um, was like, you're not that busy. Right. Talk to Richard. Yeah. So anyway, um, the, the, the few things that stood out to me, well, even just remembering who Richard Jewell was. Yep. Um, the things that stick with me from law school when this case comes up is, number one, they, the one thing that I took away that I'll never forget from law school is they said, don't ever talk to the cops. Yes. Don't ever. Just call your lawyer and don't talk. Right. Um, the other thing is res ipsa, res ipsa loquitur, which... <laughs> which has no application to the Richard Jewell movie. Not but... at all. <laughs> and it's a totally nerdy thing that um, only law students and lawyers would get. So. Yeah. And it rarely is really an issue in real life either, but it's something you have to learn, <laughs> yeah. I guess. So... So where do you want to start with this? Well, start with the context of it, the historical context. Uh, the Summer Olympics were in Atlanta in 1996. And that's when there was, a bomb did go off in Centennial Park, which was, uh, you know, well, just a big public area. And they were having concerts outside. Uh, so lots of people were there as part of the Olympic celebration. And um, that's where a bomb was placed. 
and Richard Jewell was a security guard there. He wanted to be a law enforcement officer, and that's part of his character. I mean, the real-life guy. I mean, he wanted to be a police officer. And um, he gave undue deference to the police because yes. he thought he was helping them, and he thought they were like his buddies when they are never your buddies. You know, when they're talking to you, and at one point there, the, the law enforcement officer, the FBI, played by John Hamm, um, says, hey, this is the only way we can exonerate you, or this will help us exonerate you. Right. They, they acted like they were there to help right. him. And they are not. They no, never are. they're not. No, no. If you say something that might lead to you being proven, or might lead to, might be exculpatory, that's the legal word for it, um, that doesn't help you, because you're innocent until you're proven guilty. You don't need exculpatory evidence. But if you say something that might, be twisted around some way to be used against you, that's what will happen. Right. So you start innocent. Nothing you say can make you more innocent. It will only, they, it will perhaps give them uh, something to use against you, which it certainly did here in Richard Jewell's case, because he's like offering to help them search his apartment, his yeah. mom's apartment. He lived with his mom. Um, and he was just, as the lawyer, played by Sam Rockwell, actual lawyer was Watson Bennett, I believe is his name. Watson was his first name. I remember that. Yeah, Watson Bryant. Um, and he's like, I think you should quit being so solicitous. Which, yeah. Yeah. Which he was very, true. he had a lot of deference towards law enforcement of all kind because that's what he wanted to right. be. He was also a simple guy. Yeah. Yes. yes that's he was. the, that's, the, I kept thinking during the movie, what is it about him? You know, is he a little bit slow? Um, and I came out with just, he was really simple and overly trusting. Right. And yeah. um, and and it was like the perfect storm because he was overly trusting, and he wanted to be in law enforcement. Right. So he trusted them because they were who he wanted to be. Right. And he related to them. And a couple of times when he's being interrogated or they're questioning him, uh, he says, "You know, I'm law enforcement like you." Right. And they they are kind of like laughing under their breath, right? Yeah. And even Adam, the guys he worked yeah, with. Yeah, Richard. Yes, in, you are. Right. In security, the security guys, the cops that were working with him at the park, they all, he was kind of like laughing stock. Right. Nobody took him seriously. Right. Um, he was a little gung-ho in his duties. Right. Um, and it, it does not portray him as a saint by any means either. He was just a guy. Um, and it started off where he met the lawyer. He was working for a government agency as a supply clerk, which I had no idea. I assume that's, that part's true. Then he got a job as, a, as security somewhere. And eventually... He was working for a sheriff's department in uh, Metro Atlanta, I guess, not mm -hmm. far from Atlanta. And he was fired from there. And apparently the, the sheriff, the acting sheriff, um, or somebody in personnel suggested he get some psychological counseling. Right. So, so that became part of his background. Right. And that would later be used come back against to haunt him. him. Yeah. Right. And then right. he worked for that university. Yep. He was like a university police officer or, or just security. I wasn't quite sure. It on was that. hard to say because it said cop on his right. uniform. Right. But that might have just been his hat. Or it said police. I mean, it wouldn't say cop. I don't right. think. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Right. But right. We got the impression that he was actually Bec uh, some sort of a, an officer, not just security. Right. Because universities will have their own private police force. Right. I mean, they will have that. They'll have right. campus police, which are actually police officers. Right. They have jurisdiction over the right. university. Right. But not right. outside. Right. So he had that job. And, oh, and one thing that ties into that, when he is leaving the Small Business Administration office in Atlanta, and the lawyer he knows has been nice to him, who turns out to be, his, or eventually becomes his lawyer in the criminal investigation, um, he's Richard Jewell's telling him he's leaving because he got a job and he wants to become a law enforcement officer. And uh, Sam Rockwell, the actor, tells him, 
don't become, I won't use a curse word, don't become a jerk, right? <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. he's like, oh, no, I would never do that. And then we cut to him as the police officer, the campus police officer, mm-hmm. and that's what he's become. Yeah, he's basically violating students' rights. Yeah. Bursting yeah. into their dorm room without their permission, right. manhandling them. Right. So yeah, he's because he thinks they're drinking in there, or they were drinking in right. there, but because of their alcohol on campus, and he's he's acting all like he's you know uh, do, doing the Lord's work and uh, instituting law and order because these rogue college students are drinking beer in their <laughs> dorm room, you right. know, and he's he he does become a little too self important. Yeah, a trait sometimes, and it gets him with, in trouble with police. Yes, he gets fired because there were multiple complaints about right. him doing things like that. Yep, so he got fired from that job. and uh, But then he was still able to get a security job for the for the Olympics because right. they had to hire all kinds of security. It's a massive undertaking, right? Um, and that's why he was at Centennial Park when he found the bomb. Right. I mean, he, he – well, I guess he alerted them to a suspicious package. And they, the bomb people came and find out it was a bomb. And he helped a lot of people yeah, get he, out of the absolutely. way. He was a hero. He went in it, and was insistent that everyone move back from this bomb. Right. And if he hadn't done that, a lot more people would have been right. killed. Because two people died, but and over 100 were injured. Right. The bomb was set up with three pipe bombs with nails all packed around it. So that was, you know, for maximum shrapnel damage, which is what I imagine how most of the other 100 people got hurt. Right. Um, but they did start getting people away. Uh, from where the package was, um, and if they had not done that, yeah, no doubt a lot more people would have died. Right, and, and so he started out as being known as a hero. Right, uh, he was on CNN. He mm-hmm. was, you know, CNN of course is based in Atlanta. So I think that's part of why this storm, <laughs> this perfect storm that um, almost convicted him, started there in Atlanta because they were so gung ho on this is our story. Right, this is our these are our Olympics. This is our town. So he started out as a hero that. Found the bomb, right. and um, you know, and he was very humble about it. He was just like, I, I was just doing my job. A whole bunch of other people helped uh, move people away from the from the package, which turned out to be a bomb. Um, so he was very uh, humble about it at that point, and he, he was humble about finding it and saving those people throughout the whole movie. He was just right. like, that was I was just doing my job. So that was good for him. Yeah, yeah, and he, he learned some humility, I think, he along did. the way. And yeah. he was a simple guy, and then yeah, he he was not a rocket scientist. But all of a sudden, most people aren't. No, no. Uh, but all of a sudden, things changed. Right. Because I, it looked to me it was because the FBI did not have any other suspects. I mean, that's the impression is like they 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 found someone who decided he fits a profile. Right. Right. And as John Hamm, who plays one of the main FBI characters, says that you know it's it is basic law enforcement. It, whoever found the body, you have to check to see if they did it, right? Right. And he says, whoever finds the bomb, you have to look into them to see if they planted it there. And Richard found the bomb, and so that was the first thing that clicked into some of these FBI's heads, and then they started doing the profiling. Right. He's a disaffected white guy who wanted to become a law enforcement officer, was looking for attention, and as the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter said, and we'll talk about her also, um, you know, he was a fat guy. That's not how she said it, but a fat guy <laughs> living with his mother, and so all of that played into him being a suspect. But they never had any like real evidence against him. Right, he, he was, was just, just a profile. He yeah. fit a profile. Right, and instead of what should have happened at that point was it's fine to profile because you got to start somewhere, but they should have gone and found some actual hard evidence. You know, like did he belong to a militia? Right, he didn't. Right, um, was there any physical proof? There wasn't. Right, but instead. They leaked it to the newspaper. Right, yeah. And, and so... Yeah. 
the John Hamm character leaked it to uh, Kathy Scruggs, who was the actual reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who did write the story or broke the story, along with another guy who helped her write it. They mentioned all that in the, in the movie. And she was portrayed as just, we'll do anything to get the story. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of that was true, that there was an article written by someone for the paper. Yeah, there are several, several articles about her depiction. And the Atlanta Journal-Constitution itself issued a letter to Clint Eastwood and the movie production company saying that, uh, or demanding a disclaimer that it wasn't, you know, uh, the, the portrayal of Kathy Scruggs in the paper itself was not, uh, it was a fictional depiction. It wasn't actual. That's what they demanded. Right. And the controversy, the real controversy is, and I think it will distract some from the movie because I don't think it really added anything to the movie. Yeah. But the movie intimates that the uh, Kathy Scruggs, the reporter, Traded sex for information from the FBI. Right. Right. But which really didn't matter. That really didn't, didn't. That wasn't germane. Right. What was more germane to me was that she just came across as... Oh, yeah. She was an aggressive person. Very aggressive. And, and not real... Uh, and not really concerned with the facts. Right. Just wanted to get that story first and get right. it out there. Well, but in her defense, and she says this briefly at one point, she says, I reported the facts that Richard Jewell was a target of the FBI. That was a fact. Right. She never said he did it. She just wrote that he wasn't under investigation. And then it just took on... But of you course, know, yeah, a, a from that point. And I think that's why part of the problem was that it was in Atlanta where CNN was. And, and she worked for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Right. So, and she said, we have to be the leader on the story or why are we here? Right. It was like ground zero for news. Right. And so he just happened to be <laughs> the guy that got targeted. And the problem is that all the media, of course, picked it up and ran with it. And you still see the problem today with media. Yes. <laughs> They're like locusts. Yeah, that's what they, they, that's they what just they swarmed on, on his apartment, and he lived with his mother. They right. swarmed on that apartment, and they're just camped out there. Anybody comes and goes, you know, they're shoving microphones in their face. Yeah. And I think that does still happen. Which is the problem is because I know a lot of us are naive, and we think that journalism should be about finding the truth. And <laughs> right. But it's not. Right. And obviously in this story, it wasn't either. It was just finding the biggest story as quickly as possible and putting it out there with mm -hmm. his few facts behind it as possible because they they wanted the story they wanted well, to run with it quickly yes but they, they did have this have big that, character yeah i mean they, they got another source to say that he was under investigation right and remember that's all the paper said yeah he was under investigation but then you know it gets twisted into you know uh hero is suspect um maybe he you know all this stuff about maybe he did it you know right. and all this conjecture and he gets treated as if uh maybe he did it Right, and if he hadn't been the the hero before, he right. wouldn't have gotten all that attention. But right. because he had been first characterized as a hero, yeah, there's like two or three days where it was nothing but him. People say, "How he found it, he saved lives," and then the story leaked that the FBI was investigating him, and then it just switched 180 degrees on him. Right, no. and that's why it became such a big deal for him. Right. If he had not been Richard Jewell who found the bomb. It wouldn't have been. I mean, they would have. They would yeah. have published who the the guy was, who the suspect was. But then it would have, you know. Yeah, but I don't, he wouldn't have been a suspect because part of the reason he was a suspect was, was because he, he found the, the bomb. Right? Right, right, right. Which apparently does happen. I mean, and they talk of some instances about people that that do create a problem, discover it so they can get attention. Right. I mean that. that yeah, does it is happen. a thing. It yeah. does happen. Right, right. But usually you will need more than just that, which they never got, and they never charged him. 
and not, not in real life. They never charged him. They just continued the investigation, and it was 88 days because they put that up in the in the movie right. before the FBI said that he was no longer a target of the investigation. <laughs> but that's three months where he had to live as people considering him a murderer, a terrorist. Right. And, and all he got in the end was a piece of paper from the FBI <laughs> saying so right, you're not right. a target anymore. Right. I felt so bad. Well, I, I'm sure that uh, his lawyer made sure that it went out around to all the news stations. But, right. Uh, but he made the point. The lawyer was, oh, so I assume you're going to have a, a press conference to announce this like you guys did before. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't really have a press conference before to announce that he was a suspect that leaked. But there were press conferences about it. Right. And, of course, whenever that happens, whenever something bad is put out in the paper – that gets all the headlines and all the attention. And then if three months later they find out that it's wrong, if it gets mentioned at all, it's on page 12. Right, or a little tiny retraction in one paragraph that nobody ever sees. Right. Right, Right. and it it seems like the biggest problem is that, like you mentioned, we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Right. But when the press picks it up and says that you're a suspect and splashes you all over the papers, you're convicted in the minds of whoever's reading this. uh, Yeah, a whole lot of people. And so he was trying to prove... That he was innocent right. instead of the government trying to prove he was guilty, which right. is what they're supposed to be doing. But yeah, and it's I mean, and it made a good point about you know the media is not bound by any of these rules of evidence. Right. You know, the the media can people that read the media can believe whatever they want to believe. Yeah. But he was never close to being uh, convicted because he was yeah. never even charged. They weren't. They never had yeah. enough evidence to even do that. But yeah, that's how he was treated for a while. And um, part of we were talking about that how people think that if you're charged with something, you must have done something wrong. Mm -hmm. Because at one point, the reporter says to his lawyer, uh, if he's innocent, why is the FBI here? As if if because the the law enforcement is looking at you, you must have done something. Right. And that is an offensive notion. It is. It is an offensive notion. There were a lot of offensive things that happened (laughs) in this case, um, from what the movie portrayed anyway, um, right right at the beginning, you know, the first contact that the FBI had with them, with, with oh, Richard. The, when, they they, were, when they lied to him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the story had leaked, but right. Richard didn't know it. Right. And so the FBI came over to his house and said, hey, come help us make yeah. a training video on finding bombs. Right. Right. So right off the bat, they're lying to him, which we know is legal for law police enforcement Police can to lie do. to you all day long. Yes. But if you lie to law enforcement, that's obstruction of justice. Ask Martha Stewart about that. Yeah. <laughs> so right off the bat, they're lying to him and they bring him in under false pretenses to the FBI. And so the the message that I take from that is don't, it's not just don't talk to the cops when you're under arrest, because he was never he arrested. He was not under arrest. So don't talk to the cops at all. Right, absolutely. <laughs> about anything, unless you have a lawyer there, because he went in in good faith, and what were they, they were, they were filming him, and at some point they tried to get him to sign away his Miranda rights yep. on film to look authentic right. for they this They were telling him, oh, this video. isn't real. This is just for our, our training video. So right. sign, sign this Miranda warning. Uh, but he was smart enough not to do that. Yeah. And that's when Thank he contacted goodness. his lawyer for the first time. Right. Right. But yeah, just keep that in mind. Police can lie to you all the time. Uh, it is a uh, accepted investigatory practice mm-hmm. to do that. Although I'm pretty sure that if he had signed that, it wouldn't have. It up. would not have held up because no. yeah, that was totally under false right. pretenses. Right. Oh, you're just acting right, right now. This right. is this yeah. is not real. It you haven't really have. signed your rights. It away. shouldn't have. But then if the FBI agents are going like, no, no, we did it right. You know, who are they going to believe? The three FBI agents or Richard Jewell, the suspect who's probably killed a bunch, you know, set up a bomb in the park, right? Because right? they had it on film. They were smart enough that, you know, right. they knew what they oh, were doing. Yeah, and then when he refused to sign it, they said, all right, we're going to do this again. They left, came back in, and he took out 
that tape and threw it away. I mean, yeah. it was just in the garbage can. They could have gotten it. But the implication is, no, this is something that we don't want anybody to see as part of our investigation. They can put in a new tape and start right. it over, which I have no doubt that that happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I know I, I'll always hear from people that are like, oh, you just, you hate the police. You know, try being a cop. You know, all this stuff. All these people that are very, very defensive about law enforcement. And I get that. But there's nothing more American, nothing more patriotic than asserting your rights protected under the United States Constitution. That's why it's there. Right. So don't ever let anybody give you a hard time for enforcing your rights because that's what America is about. Don't fall for any any nonsense to the contrary. Nothing more American than asserting your rights. Yeah. So do it. Even when you don't have to, especially when you don't have to. It's like yeah. muscles. You know, if you don't use your muscles, they atrophy. If you don't use your rights, they atrophy. Yeah. Same thing. So if you've got nothing to hide in your trunk of your car and a police officer asks if you can look in the trunk of the car, say no. Yeah. No. No. Do not waive your rights because... That's what this country is founded upon, is not waiving your rights. So don't. Right. No, and I think we respect law. I mean, I know I respect law enforcement, mm -hmm. um, but I would, there's no way I would talk to a police officer right. about an right. attorney present. And, not, and, and they also talked to his friend uh, and basically kind of made his friend think that he had to come along. Right. With yeah, his them. friend was uh, eating at a diner at a, at a counter, and the two FBI agents came in and said, "Come with us." And they basically took him away. Right. He was under no obligation to go anywhere. No. Um, he wasn't under. If you're not under arrest, the police cannot force you to go anywhere. If you're under arrest, if you're in custody, well, then you're in custody, and they can take you someplace. Right. And so many people think that they have to do what is suggested by law enforcement. No, but the would law you mind coming with us? Right. Um, I, well, um, am I under arrest? Am I being detained? If not, I'm uh, free to go and I'm going to stay here. Yeah. If you're going to arrest me, arrest me. If you got a warrant, serve it. If you got probable cause, fine. But I'm not going to go with you voluntarily yep. because we're Americans and we don't have to do that. Well, and they do that because they know they don't have enough. Exactly. So they're, they're right. hoping that they will get enough out of right. you if you voluntarily go along with them. Right. And that's why we don't do it. I know right. we all think it's our duty it's and not. we want to help law enforcement, but they're not your friend when no. they're looking at you for no. having committed a crime. So... Um, if it ever happens to you where you are under suspicion, automatically you need to start thinking that they are not—they are not your friends. They're not trying to clear you. No, they're not trying to exonerate your name as right. Richard thought in the movies. Like, right. That was another one of the the oh, horrific things that they did. That was pretty unbelievable when they came in to search his place, which they had a warrant for. But um, yep, they had and for that. Yep. and the lawyer went outside to go um, help the, the mom, the mother. Yeah. right, and then talk to the press. And so while the lawyer was away, they pull Richard inside and, and ask him for uh, what a, was voice it? a voice sample, right. And made him get on the phone and say, uh, there's a bomb. Was there's it? a bomb in Centennial Park. You have 30 minutes. Right. Which is what the actual guy said. That was recorded. Right. Uh, that, so, um, and to be fair, they didn't make him. They just asked him to. Right. And he did. So, um, but of course they knew that have. that was not, they knew he was going to do it. Right. He was they very knew, easily manipulated. Yes. Very easily. Manipulated. They knew it wasn't kosher too, though, because right. he had a lawyer and the lawyers, right. I mean, obviously this was a little trick that they did. And it, you know, we're always finding when we watch, like, I love watching FBI, right? That's right. one of my favorite shows. <laughs> and I never have a problem when they do that kind of thing to the bad guys. Cause mm. you know that they're the bad guys. But exactly, and but that's what they were doing to Richard Jewell. He yes. was the bad guy, so and that's the problem with that thought process. Yes, 
it's convicting before you know, it's an assumption that is incorrect and the assumption is that you're innocent right. not guilty and like he had to prove his innocence and that's not the right. way that's supposed to work right and that's one of the the other things that I took away from um, law school is that the, the the system is set up that way purposely because we would rather see a guilty person go free than an innocent person go to prison because what <laughs> How much worse could life be to be sitting right. in prison innocent? Right. That's just, uh, just yeah. torture. Yeah. And that's a, I could, yeah, we could have a whole podcast on that. Yeah. Um, and I guess I wanted to mention the defamation aspect about what the Atlanta Journal Constitution is saying about um, their reporter, Kathy Scruggs, that she was depicted in a defamatory way. Mm-hmm. And in this letter they sent, because I, I read it and I actually tweeted it. So mm-hmm. I tweeted a link to it. Um, so you can check that out. And, it's it's threatening a defamation lawsuit, but even in it, it's like six pages into it. It's like, and we realize that you know the defamation laws are tough in the United States, but they're easier in other countries. And you're going to be showing this all over the world. So I mean, it, they acknowledge that. I mean, which is it's true. It's almost impossible to win a defamation lawsuit in the United States. Much easier in the United Kingdom. And they'll be showing it there. So that was what the implicit. Uh, that, I didn't. Read, I guess was. I didn't go to the end of that yeah, article because yeah. I didn't. But. Uh, but Clint Eastwood and the movie production company have said, basically, screw you guys. Hmm. Yeah. But I. I yeah. The, and the biggest part of it is that trading sex for information thing, which didn't need to be in there, and it's a distraction from the yeah. rest of the the series. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a handful of these very very progressive websites condemn the movie for for that, which I get. You know, I, I get that. If she, if there's no evidence she did that, there's no need to put that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they say that he is, Clint Eastwood, in making the movie, is portraying the FBI as um, a, a, an untrustworthy untrustworthy organization. And they try to tie that in, well, because that's what Trump is saying because of everything that's going on with him, right? Well, I wish that sometimes progressives would get their attitude straight because our cops, all racists that want to... Uh, incarcerate you for no reason especially if you're a minority and will make stuff up or are they law-abiding good guys that must a lot of the progressive newspapers are trying to make out like um the big tall guy who was in charge of the fbi for a while oh uh, comey comey right Mm -hmm. yeah in comey so uh when you change your attitudes about law enforcement based on your political agenda that's called hypocrisy so pick one right (laughs) that's the problem with politicizing uh, law enforcement. And, yeah. Uh, yes. We could do a whole episode. On exactly. That All right. well. Oh, one other thing I wanted to mention. Did you notice the bumper sticker the lawyer had on his uh, picture behind him in his office? Yes. It said, I fear the government more than terrorism. Yes. Yeah. That was, a, that, that was, I loved that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a libertarian. I figured you were loving that. I love yeah. that. But I can see how somebody who believes that government should be in charge of everything in the world, like a lot of progressives and conservatives, just in very different ways. Uh, would say, oh my goodness, what propaganda? He's got propaganda right there in in the movie and a bumper sticker. How obvious is that? Uh, but I, which is it, funny because to me it just it just spoke to his character. Oh yeah, it did. As yeah. who he was, and he obviously was sort of a, a libertarian bent because. At least with law enforcement. I mean, we have no idea about anything else. Right. But, at least but as far as, right. um, you know, protecting his clients, saying just because they work for the federal government doesn't mean that they're good guys and right. they're on your side. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and one other just quick thing I noted that factually that so they've got this big outdoor concert, like in one of them it was Kenny Rogers and in this big park. And if anybody's been to any of these outdoor concerts at like Civic Center Park here in Denver, 
it was way too easy to walk around oh, in yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> just walking through the crowd. Right. You know, no, that's that that's, <laughs> doesn't happen that way. People are packed in tight trying yeah. to get close. Yeah, there weren't many people for such a big concert. Yeah, exactly. For Kenny Rogers <laughs> well, in '96. Yeah. Yeah. When they were put, when they were pushing the crowd uh, back away, away from the bomb. Yeah, I thought I kept thinking there's going to be a problem because there's going to be too many people. They're going to, you know, someone's going to get trampled or whatever. Right. And that didn't happen. Right. So yeah, you're right. right. That wasn't. Yeah. I mean, realistic. but yeah, that's no big deal. And then they did the Macarena at the Olympic <laughs> event in '96. And I'm sure it was a thing. I'm sure they wouldn't have done that, uh, taken that. Yeah, uh, I was going to Google that. Anachronism. They wouldn't have made that anachronism. So it must have been in 96. I'm like, is it that old? (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. Macarena, 96. Because I remember, I'm pretty sure I was in Korea when that came out. And that was in 96. All right, there you go. I'll have to look that up. Uh, And then, all right, so the actual guy who actually did this, his name is Eric Rudolph. And I remember this because he was Mm -hmm. hiding in North Carolina, in the mountains of North Carolina. It's where he was from. He knew his way around, um, you know, like the hillbillies in the mountains, right? right. That's the that's the uh, um, um, stereotype, and that was him. Mm-hmm. So he was able to avoid law enforcement for a long time. And he also he did blow up some other things, like some abortion clinics, I believe. Oh, um, yeah, I remember that name. Yep. I vaguely, you know, and that's the other problem when with with picking this guy and going after him, regardless of what the evidence said. Mm-hmm. All that time spent on trying to convict this guy. And they totally, well, they didn't really, you know, maybe somebody at the FBI was looking for other suspects, mm-hmm. but they weren't looking, they weren't spending all their energy trying right. to find the actual suspect. Yeah. And when you get an idea in your head, like this is the guy that did it, you become focused on that. Yeah. And to the exclusion of things that might indicate that he didn't do it, which they definitely did in this movie and I right. think in real life. And they do that all the time. Police get an idea, then they look for evidence to support that idea. Instead of the opposite. Right. Right. And the other problem, of course, was that because... Someone leaked it to the press, yep. and it was all over the press. They were then invested in that. Well, we're going to look stupid right. now, if we yeah. don't. You know, we we pulled him in as a suspect, and it's all over the news. We can't just stop looking at him now. Right. So yeah, that is part that of was it. a lot of the problem. There are um, so many problems with that case. And uh, Eric Rudolph, the guy who actually did it, he did make two calls, and they depicted that in the movie. And at the first call, he said something about the militia. Yeah. And it was kind of cryptic. I didn't really quite get it, right. and then he hung up. Um, he said, can you understand you me? You didn't obey the militia yeah, or something right, like that. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I do, that does tie into showing Eric Rudolph was this this extremist, you know, this militia type extremist. Because mm-hmm. I've seen some of the uh, pro- progressive criticism of the movie is, like they said they whitewashed that part. They didn't mention that. Well, I mean, no, I think they did give that the attention. It, they, they recognized that. Right. But the movie wasn't about Eric Rudolph. It right. was about Richard Well, and I Jewell. kept waiting for the FBI to ask him, um, what militia do you belong to? Right, and right. They, that they well, never they didn't even, show that. Yeah. yeah, they didn't follow that. Right, and they didn't so, show that in the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was a big hole. But um, mm-hmm. it seems to me one of the big points too is that the federal government is so powerful. Yes. And, yes. You know that this had this was a federal crime. It had to be handled by the FBI. Right. That was like the little jurisdictional uh-huh. argument that the different levels of police had, law enforcement mm-hmm. had, which is that's a trope almost in these movies. I know. So you had like the Atlanta police said this is our thing. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation said no, it's ours because this park is on state property. Right. And then the ATF was like, no, this is an explosion. This is us. Right. But John Hamm's like, no, we're the FBI. It's ours. You guys help us. So they had that little almost I, like a. Is that is yeah. it just a trope, or do you think is that realistic? No, I'm sure it's real. Yeah, that's sure so real. annoying to me. That's yeah. one of the, the bothersome things about right. law enforcement, even within different federal agencies. It's like, mm-hmm. why would you, why are you not cooperating with each right. other to solve this instead of worrying about your little your, uh, your fiefdom? Fiefdom, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, mm-hmm. it's, it, that's one of the things that's 
very yeah. annoying to me. Yeah, exactly. And um, one of the things we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode is why the federal government is so big. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. pay attention. Now it's um, worked its way be, be watching for that because that's something we're going to cover. Of your body. Yeah. Um, Next time. Um, why the federal government has become so big. Right. And I think that, you know, this... This case is just an illustration of how powerful the FBI right. is. Yep. And that reminded me, even when I was watching it, about these different organizations of law enforcement arguing about jurisdiction. It reminded me of 9-11 when, when the Republican president, instead of consolidating existing law enforcement agencies and intelligence agencies, which would make sense to mm -hmm. make it more efficient and streamlined, because they do that. The CIA and the FBI are, there's like 17 intelligence agencies in the United States government. Yeah. And That's they crazy. do try to protect their information. They want to get credit for it. They're right. human beings. Um, it's not good, but it's 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 the truth. And we can't de deny that fact. That's how people are, right. or can be. Some are that way. Some mm -hmm. can be that way. We can't ignore that. And so instead of the Republican president, W, saying we're going to consolidate these things to make it more efficient and easier to find, he creates another agency. Yeah. The Department of Homeland Security. The exact opposite of what should have been done. Right. Instead of making more government and another layer of things to go through and another set, another flow chart to deal with mm -hmm. that has to interact with other flow charts. And um, that yeah. was something that I thought of in the movie. <laughs> right. It is a big problem. Yes. Yes. All right. So the, the lessons we're taking out of this. Yes. Are, first of all, don't talk to the cops. Right. Call a lawyer. He should have called right. a lawyer as soon as the FBI said, right. come downtown with us. He should right. have said no. Yeah. But he believed them. <laughs> he did. He believed that, hey, we, you're one of us. We appreciate what you did. Come down and do a video for us. He believed them. Yeah. So don't. Don't believe them. But then uh, when he was getting into his vehicle, um, someone from the press said, right. you're a suspect. At that point, see, when he was driving, yeah. I thought, if that were me, I would have been like, oh, no. Right. You but, turn. <laughs> yeah, but he was so committed to his belief in helping and being a being a good guy, right. and that the FBI was all good guys. Right. That he said, he just said, no, I'm not. Well, and, and if you're an innocent, it. I think so it. many times we think if we're innocent, of course, yeah. why would we not cooperate? Right. Yeah, and here's another a good saying. Do you can remember this? Put this on a bumper sticker. No one needs a lawyer. No, wait a minute. No one needs a lawyer more. Here we go. I take two. No one needs a lawyer more than a guilty man than an innocent one. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. No matter what, don't. Even if you're guilty, especially. You know, right. <laughs> and, well, lawyer. if you're innocent, especially. But if you're an innocent person, uh, yeah, you're. don't. Right. Don't help. Don't, they're not there to help you. The police are not there to prove you innocent. That's not what they're after. Right. Yeah. Another way to visualize it, I think it helps me anyway, is that you're innocent, right? You're like here. You're innocent. And nothing you say can make you more innocent. Right. Nothing you say. But whatever you say can be used against you. And even if it's completely innocent, it can be twisted around on you. So you can't be more innocent than you are when you start. Don't help them. Right. Don't help them. If they find evidence that you know he had bomb-making material in his mom's Tupperware, okay, then that's evidence and he might have done it. Right. But don't help them. Yeah. Yeah, shut up. Because yeah. it's American to shut up. <laughs> that's right. right. If you want to talk about a football game or the weather, okay, that's fine. Right. I'm not saying don't do that. You know, be polite. Yes. Always be polite. No, oh, yeah. Don't ever, you don't want to hassle. That's <laughs> exactly. for sure. No. Yes. Polite. But, um, yeah, talk about the weather. Talk about right. sports. How about those Broncos? Yeah. 
All right. There's one other thing. I thought the the scene with the the president, I guess, of the university where oh, uh-huh. where Richard Jewell worked and got fired for harassing students, um, and then later on, he's the one that actually gave the FBI some of the uh, the first reason to go after Richard Jewell because right. he was like, oh, I saw it was Richard Jewell, and he was kind of looking for attention mm-hmm. when he was here, and so he called. And I don't know if that's fact- that actually happened, but in the movie, the president of that small university was the one that called the FBI about him, Mike being involved in it. Um, and he reminded me of Dean Wormer from uh, the Animal House movies. <laughs> His office looked like that, kind of, so I thought of that. Um, then there was a scene in the in the newspaper office where they've already established that nobody likes Kathy Scruggs. Uh-huh. I mean, she got a few people she works with, but like the newsroom doesn't like her. Yeah. They've established that. Right. And then after this news becomes uh, first page uh, of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and they break the story that he's a suspect, she walks in and the, and the newsroom claps for her. Right. That was cringe. Yes, it was. That was cringe. It was terrible. Yeah. So I thought, oh. That would not okay, have Okay, so and, well, any, well, my problem with it was, of course, the way she got the story. Right. <laughs> well, like, yeah. Do they even know what they're clapping, that she just prostituted herself for this story? Of but her? I don't think that actually happened, just to, okay. just to say that. But in the movie, it did, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, she was not a likable no. character at no. all. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a reason that they didn't like her. To put it politely, she was a wench. <laughs> uh, and his lawyer had him, I'm just hitting some bullet points here. His lawyer had him do a, a lie detector privately in his office. Right. So it wasn't going to be used, it couldn't be used by the FBI. And that's one thing Richard Jewell says, why didn't we just let the FBI do it? And his lawyer's like, you trust him with the results, right? Oh, yeah. So it just shows Richard Jewell's uh, commitment. Yeah, why to, do you think they did that? Because they never used it? Yeah, they didn't use it. Um, I, I, I don't know why, and I, I would never have anybody do a lie detector for any reason whatsoever. It's voodoo. It's not It's not legitimate. Right. So, um, you know, I, they probably just did it for the movie, just to show. Yeah, I mean. So that if the audience had any question right. at all, this was the proof. And maybe it, it helped the lawyer believe it. Right. And Nadia, the, the helper, the lawyer helper. Yeah. Who we find out later they got married. Right. Um, after the movie happened. Yeah. In the little scroll, not the scroll, but the little title cards at the end, it right. tells you that. And Richard Jewell died at 44, apparently. Yeah. At 2000, in 2007 from a heart condition because he was not a healthy guy. He was no. too big. There were a few times during the movie I thought he was going to yeah, have a heart attack. they showed that. They did show during that. During the like, movie. He kind of yeah. like, yeah, they, yeah, they definitely showed that he had a heart issue. Um, oh, and I, I saw that one of these progressive newspaper article online articles criticizing the movie for... Uh, what they perceived as Clint Eastwood's being a mouthpiece for uh, Donald Trump. And they mentioned that, oh, and there were Confederate flags in the law enforcement officers. Do you know what those were? Yeah. Well, no, but it was 96, first of right. all. But what were they for? It was a Georgia state flag. Well, yeah, that's what I figured. Right. I thought, you know what I was thinking? Because it's not completely, it, it's part of the flag. Right. What it's I was thinking the at the time was that I'm sure that's not there anymore. Right. <laughs> right. But then I was also thinking, but this was back in 96 before Correct. it was, it was 96. so terrible mm-hmm. to have right. the Confederate yeah. flag in it. But it wasn't the Confederate flag. It was, it a, was Georgia a Georgia flag, flag, which has it in there, which uh-huh. is bad enough. But right. anyway, right. that was just something okay. that, yeah, some people will see and lose their sense of uh, factual history. Right. All right. Well, I think that is most of what I made notes about and thought about or right. leaving anything out yeah it was it was a good movie other than the, the foul language like i said i just i just had to it's pretend. funny i grew up southern baptist and i didn't even notice it <laughs> you know well everyone knows pretty much that <laughs> i'm lds and i usually do not see rated r movies uh, i've made a few exceptions over the years and, i've yeah. vetted them ahead of time yeah i didn't i vetted this one a little bit 
But yeah, I, I knew I was probably in for it, so I had to just like sit there and ignore it because the story was really good. Yeah. But it just, it detracts. For those of people out there like me who don't usually see our movies, it's hard. You feel like you you're under attack. Yeah. yeah. There, I saw that, that movie, The Sniper, I think it was called. Yeah, um, that was one. And I, I felt like I was assaulted because oh, the, the F-bomb was used yeah. like I don't know how many times. Again, great story. Like they right. would just leave out the language. <laughs> but <Yes>. anyway... <laughs> All right, so um, you're going to be writing an article on yeah, this? Yeah, and I will have a link to that, and I will tweet it out, and I'll give it to you, obviously, so you can do with it what you will. All right, some of my so thoughts when I, I will be posting this um, a week from Monday, so by the time everyone sees this, the article should be yeah. written and published by yes. then. Mm -hmm. All right, and I will link to it in my show notes. Um, and so if you go to AnnetteTalks.com, it'll be there. It'll be on YouTube. Um, and, and it should be on the show notes for all the other podcast um, outlets, whatever you call those things. Awesome. So, and we are going to get together again soon, and we're going to podcast about why the federal government is so big, right. how that happened. Yes. Um, and some other good. Yeah. And so good stuff. remember me on uh, Twitter, the Law DKW. Right. And your podcast is on. Uh, it's Speakeasy Ideas. It, well, it's on all of the podcast um, providers, all the. Right, um, iTunes and all, all that, that right, stuff. right, okay. and it's under Speakeasy Ideas. That is the name of the the podcast channel, I guess, because right. it's me and it's one other guy who started it all. Um, who talks more about uh, historical events and things like the Federalist Papers, where I'm focused on current, well, and historical Supreme Court cases and legal issues of the day. Right. Yep. Cool. So check that out. All right, I'll link Always to that. I'll, speak, I'll link to that on the uh, website as well. So thank awesome. you for joining me. Always a, a pleasure. Movie. Love it. And that was my discussion with Annette Bybee of AnnetteTalks.com about the lessons we can learn from the Richard Jewell movie and the real-life events it dramatizes. I hope you enjoyed it. And next week, look for my discussion on the decision out of the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, which is located in one of my favorite cities, New Orleans. And that case just came out about two weeks ago in the middle of December. That Fifth Circuit case upheld the federal district court judge's ruling that the individual mandate from Obamacare no longer has any constitutional authority now that the tax that the Supreme Court said authorized the individual mandate because it was a tax and Congress has the power to tax. Well, the tax no longer exists. We discussed the federal district court case in episode 17 of the law, and we're going to discuss what the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals had to say in upholding that decision, although they sent it back for some further findings on some additional issues, and we'll go over that. So look forward to that. I'm D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 63, Constitutional and Legal Lessons from Richard Jewell. We're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. Let me know what you think. Again, Twitter is at The Law, D.K.W., and on Facebook.com slash The Law with D.K. Williams. I'm available for speaking, consulting, teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details. Freedom is dangerous, my friends. Live dangerously.